this is the Sunday after Ascension Day, or the seventh Sunday of Easter, and I want to preach on three things. I hope I remember as I go, because you know I don't read this all the time. What do Christians mean, or what constitutes eternal life? How do we understand the term world, as it is used by John? And how do we understand our relationship with God and Jesus as we seek to be faithful? What is our role in the world? So those are the first questions. But the first thing I want to do is to say a word about Ascension. Uh, Last Thursday was Ascension Day, and in most places these days, Ascension Day, uh, we we commemorate it with the Eucharist, but it's hardly uh, to a throng. So Ascension is one of the great days in the Christian church. And uh, I want to say a little something about how we understand it. I mean, is it just the Bible says Jesus is there and that's what happened? Or how do we focus on this? To focus on this in terms of literal history as the center is something that probably is not the most productive way. Although the idea that Jesus was taken up in front of eyewitnesses is an important thing in the Bible, and there's been more work done on that these days than there used to be, certainly when I was in seminary, when we were in the fever swamps of, the, of higher criticism. Uh, and I was always told, and, uh, and my classmates, about the assured results of higher criticism. Have you heard that in any other discipline? Of course. You've had people who do the work, and if they want to get their PhDs, they always talk about the assured results of whatever it is. Father Thomas Keating said uh, that Christ ascended not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. In particular, he has penetrated the very depth of our being. Our separate self-sense has melted into his divine person, And now we can act under the direct influence of his spirit. Now, this comes from somebody who's done a lot of meditating, both thinking and being silent, listening to the still, small voice that we know is not our own. So this is a a couple of sentences about how we understand on Pentecost, which is coming in a week from today, The spirit now comes to the community of faith we call the church, and it dwells in each of us as members of the baptized. We understand that and believe that. That's one of the sacramental things. The spirit has been bestowed upon us at our baptism. Is the spirit bestowed on anybody who isn't baptized? I suspect so. But what we're talking about here is uh, Christianity and how we understand the processes of the sacramental life, which do do that. And you'll see here that um, Rachel uh, Held Evans talks about the power of the sacraments and why it's so important. I saw another article I haven't read, by the way, uh, a blog that was, uh, somebody's blog that was sent to me that said, young evangelicals are getting high. There is a strong movement within the evangelical community of young people who are being drawn to the sacramental life. You see? Not fog machines. 
but something else. So Father Keating would go on to say that the ascension of Jesus is the divinization of our humanity. Through this process, our lives become a mysterious interpenetration of material experience, spiritual reality, and the divine presence. This opens us to the transcendent potential in ourselves, to our mind, which opens up to unlimited truth, and to our will, which reaches out for unlimited love. The processes of God. So, moving to this Sunday, we're dealing now in the, in the biblical readings, particularly in the gospel, with the separation anxiety of the disciples and certainly the author of John's gospel, right? What are we going to do now? He's gone. How then must we behave? What then must we do? What are the promises of God? And how do we understand what that means in our, in our own lives? So John, both in the epistle and in the gospel, is concerned with something he calls eternal life. So for the community that wrote John's gospel, this community is sometimes called the community of the beloved disciples. That's what Raymond Brown, the great biblical scholar, referred to uh, as the Johannine community. So what they're interested in is relationship. That Jesus and his relationship with God is, is complete. In other words, it's completely aligned. So for them, I say this over and over again, in, in Jesus' words and works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And more to the point, you and I are going to be able and are able to do these things. Right? And we do this in the midst of the world, which is those forces that are or organized against that system of belief. So the world isn't something, as Jesus says in today's gospel, that I want to take you out of the world. I want you to be in the world. And I want you to make a difference. I want you to stand at some critical distance from the uh, conventional wisdom of a lot of things that go on in our society. In every age. Right? How do I, I'm an Episcopalian, and most Episcopalians think, well, how do I do that without making a scene? <laughs> how, how do I do that uh, without sounding like a religious nut? Right? So how do I stay centered in myself to be able to be a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love? The, writers, the writer of John's gospel believed that the relationship they had with Jesus was so powerful and so absolute that it would continue even beyond physical death. And they understood this and described this relationship as eternal life. 
Now, I've said a lot of, uh, recently about, I've been re read a lot of uh, books by N.T. Wright, the, the English biblical scholar. And I agree with him that uh, that always sounds like, uh, there, do you ever remember 50 years ago there was a show called That Was the Week That Was? Well, the English version, I can remember listening to a record of the English version. And on David Frost and all of these people were on this thing. And one of the uh, players in uh, That Was the Week That Was uh, was... Uh, Appearing as some chaplain in the in the royal in the British Army, and he stands up at the podium and he says, he had one of those public school accents that some guy some kid copied his tutor who had a speech impediment, <laughs> right? So so you sound like very, you know, and consider what Moses said, and I think he was right, right? So, we don't want to go there too far. That's not what they're talking about. I think he was right. It's that they felt this sense of alignment, and they would commend it to other people, this idea. And they do that through their faith. Remember, on the second Sunday after Easter, we, we talk about this, that... Um, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty, right? So one of the ways that we can think about uh, our own certainty is to substitute ourselves for God. We can say, this is what, this is, I am the absolute arbiter of what is right and wrong or how I live or what I must do, Right? The triumph of the autonomous self is the highest moral good in this culture. And there's some things about it that are compelling, though, you know. The triumph of the autonomous self, we all think that's important. And you know what? We all get to do that. We all get to be autonomous. That's part of the deal. And in the gospel for today, uh, there's something that's said about that. When John uses the Greek word for world, he uses the word cosmos in Greek. Uh, I, I was preparing the sermon this week, and cosmos means a lot of different things. It has a lot of meanings. Uh, one I mentioned on is ornament. But remember, too, we get the word in English cosmetic from cosmos, Right? So it has something with uh, putting the, the, the most uh, glamorous face on things. But John almost always uses cosmos in one of its other meanings, which is chaos. Disorder. Right? Unpredictability. I was talking to a friend uh, a week ago or so, and um, he described to me, we were watching, we were sitting in the park, and we were watching a flag being uh, moved by the wind. And he said, you know, 
that flag moved by the wind never moves the same way twice. It's always different, and so are the, the, the leaves on the trees when they're moved. They don't move the same way twice. And you can, there are mathematical equations which prove it, right? That it never moves the same way twice. And in, in certain fields, they refer to that as chaos. Now, I mention this because chaos is kind of like life. And the biblical witness tells us that at the creation, God took the chaos and put it in some species of order and form. So I'm taking a big risk here, but I would suggest that um, what our faith does and our commitments create a situation where we're able internally to bring some order and chaos to the challenges and opportunities in our own life. And this can uh, be located in the quotidian issues, the daily stuff that we go through, things happen unexpectedly, and all of a sudden we're thrown off kilter and we got to do something else. Or it can be in a circumstance whereby we are just simply out of answers. We don't know how to do this. And we believe that in John's Gospel, it says that Jesus loves us. And this love is unconditional, this forgiveness is unconditional, and this acceptance is unconditional. And when people began to think and reflect about this, in the 16th century, in our tradition, the creation of the Church of England, Anglicanism, some of the leading people in this movement said, this freedom I feel by virtue of this reality is breathtaking. <coughs> the idea that I have the possibility in the midst of the chaos to experience a new freedom and a new peace. Don't think about this always in the great and grand issues. It's the ordinary and commonplace things that we face on a daily basis and how we make the adjustments. This is part of what is called uh, chapter 17 that we read today. It's part of what is known as the great high priestly prayer. And it's something that we read on Maundy Thursday at the conclusion of the agape meal. We read chapter 17, the whole of chapter 17. And, some, and the reason it's done is because Jesus in his, in his saying is giving us tools that we can use to help us deal with our separation anxiety. Because if we follow this, I don't mean in a literal way, Jesus has ascended. The Spirit hasn't come to the church yet in absolute terms, and in a week it's going to. So the Spirit is going to come down, and we become the beneficiaries of the Spirit and also the fiduciaries. We have a responsibility to be good stewards over the Spirit. So Jesus has consecrated us for this purpose. And this Sunday is when we think about that sort of thing. What does it mean to be consecrated for a purpose? 
The way in which we maybe understand this is through the idea of friendship. Jesus said, I have called you friends. So maybe it's a good time to think about your friends and the power of that friendship and what it can do for you. You know, there are various levels of this, of course. You know, you can call somebody a friend who's a, who, because you collect stamps together or you play chess, right? But you can also call friends people who share deep things with each other and who give you some sense of stability. So maybe this week before Pentecost, think about these things.